Hi there, MMBC Church family. It's good to be with you today. We're doing our midweek discussion a little different. We've been doing video, but we're going to try doing it the way we do our podcasts here this week at least. And so we're going to give it a run. Uh, the good thing about this, though, is we'll have Pastor Matt with us as well. And so maybe he'll have some insight. But this week, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> but maybe. This week, uh, in our sermon series in Ephesians, we were in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Really is a, a section, verses 1 through 6, is a section in itself, kind of, uh, where Paul starts talking about unity. If all this stuff in chapters 1 through 3 are true, if God has done all these things, then we are called to be unified together. And so, just a reminder, in verses 1 through 3, he talked about the fact that we are to be humble people. We are to be gentle, patient, bearing with each other. And he said, maintaining the bond of peace. All right. We were supposed to be doing that uh, actively. And it, I mentioned this in the sermon, but it's almost like Paul really understands people. He understands people who want to do, and he already can see the problem with like, man, they're going to start thinking it's all about them, that they got to do this. Let, let me remind them here of really where their unity is found. And so In verses 4 through 6, he goes on to say, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so there's seven words that Paul uses there to talk about our foundation when it comes to unity, of being unified. And we can look at this in a couple ways, we have to remember, number one, Paul is writing to a specific church when he's writing Ephesians. He's writing to this church family. And this letter was probably passed around to other churches. They, you know, I think that's what the scholars would say, that it wouldn't have just necessarily been for the church in Ephesus, but probably Laodicea and some other ones along that route. But it is being written to specific churches, and Paul understands that those churches are going to read it. So when we when we look at these words, we can think of it as your local body, right? Your local church being unified. But there also is, and we see this scripturally, that all believers all around the world, right, for all time are a part of the body of Christ and should then be unified together in that. And what Paul lists for us here is where our unity is found. And so when we're talking about, you know, like, should we join this church over here for this cause or whatever it might be? A good place to start to say, should we join this church would be these seven things. Like, do we yeah. see eye to eye yeah. in these in these different areas of, of faith, of hope, of what our hope is in, of the Lord, of God, of the Spirit? Are we seeing eye to eye with these? And that would help to say, well, we can't really be unified with them because we think they're off on this scripturally. Um, because I think that's a, a good question that could come up from this passage is, as we look around, it seems like churches are very scattered. There's all kinds of denominations. Within denominations, there's splits and things that happening. And so how can we how can we say we're unified? A simple answer is we don't do it well, probably. <laughs> but it's because we usually fail. We have sin. It's not because the Lord fails. We fail and we fall. we fall short. And there's other reasons that people are... Uh, divided that I think are worthy things to divide. Um, baptism is mentioned here, 
right? And so we see divisions over baptism. You have different forms of baptism. Some people baptize infants, and they see that as like a covenantal promise. And we baptize believers' baptism, and we feel that's a worthy thing to separate over. But I think, at least at this table, we would all agree we would still call those people who hold to that, if they hold to the Trinity and some of these other key doctrines, as brothers and sisters in the Lord that we'd be happy to serve with and for some cause or whatever whatever it might be. So there's a lot of work to do in those. We're not, I'm not trying to negate that. But in the sermon, I kind of went specifically with Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, us being a body of Christ, a local body, us being unified. And that really was my focus. I didn't want to go off into those into those other realms. Do you guys know a place where people could go to learn more about like denominations and differences? At 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, Pastor Spencer is having a class oh. talking about denominations. You are? Yeah, actually we are. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's that, convenient. That was, a, that was yeah. a shameless plug right there. Yeah, yeah. I've denominated the class um, an introduction to Christian denominations. Okay. So... So if people were to attend next week, they really haven't missed anything. Right, yeah. No. Just the intro. It was just the intro. You don't really need. Right, no. No. <laughs> no. No. All we did was talk about terms. Even though Amanda was impressed with your handout. She was? She said, does he always write eight pages of handouts? I said, yeah. No. Well, that was. Maybe was, not that, eight pages. That was a bigger handout because I had I had maps. A lot of pretty pictures. But it looked professional. <laughs> she said she was very impressed. Oh, well, that's coming from Even a the footnotes. educator. Yeah. Yeah, there, she said. There, I don't know if anybody else read the footnotes. I kind of looked at them. She said, "Right, no, I, yeah." Part <laughs> of the reason why I'm doing those footnotes is because of, um, well, we just don't want to plagiarize. plagiarize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll I don't want that. people yep. to think that this yeah. is all yeah. coming yeah. from me. I did not make up all those charts and come up with all those ideas. Okay, we appreciate you um, doing that, Spencer. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think one of the things too, whenever we think about um, church unity. Um, what this means here in, in verses four through six. And like when Jesus prays for church unity in John 17, he says, I pray that they may be one, even mm-hmm. as we are one. First and foremost, that's a spiritual um, reality. And we're actually united with all believers, mm-hmm. dead, living, and those to yet to come who are part of the elect of God. So Abraham is a part of the church. Right. Adam is a part of the church. Mm-hmm. Moses is, and so is Paul, and we're we're all actually still part of this invisible community of the ultimate redeemed at the last day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things though that churches, local churches, have to be careful about is that even while I think, it, like you said, it's appropriate to have different convictions, like on baptism, and to um, and for charity's sake, and also for expressing the fact that we think even secondary matters are still important. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different churches. We also want to remember that our local churches, whether those be Lutheran, um, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, we should be aiming to be simply expressions of the one church that is spiritually invisible, but we're supposed to be expressions of that one reality. And so there's a real sense in which we should really, anything that makes us, unique as a local congregation should be very secondary mm-hmm. very secondary because the first thing that's supposed to be is we're just supposed to be an expression of the church 
which I don't equate with a single visible institution, but with this spiritual reality, like Paul has talked about, um, whose head is Christ and um, the body is found throughout all eternity, but we're supposed to be an expression of that one reality. And so we want to maintain, um, you know, people, the word Catholic is, is got a pejorative sense, I think, amongst some Protestants, but a small C Catholicism of, of a universal nature of the, the all embracing true church. Mm -hmm. We should aim for that at MNBC to have a small C Catholicism at our church that we are trying as best we can within our convictions, and that includes believers' baptism, but to be as small-c Catholic, as universal, as all-embracing as we can be without giving up on what we think the Scriptures do plainly teach. Mm -hmm. I think that's important mm -hmm. for any local church. Yeah, I th what you said about the unity is a spiritual unity. It even says the unity of the Spirit, of the spirit yeah. and the bond mm -hmm. of peace. That's really important because, I mean, especially in the context of this letter, what he was talking about earlier in chapter 2 about the differences between Gentiles and Israel and about how that, that's been broken down and we are now one body, that means that our unity as a church ourselves, as individuals, means that there a church can be made up of individuals with vastly different interests and, and things that they do in their regular life, but they are still united in a church as a church because of what unites them. It's a, it's a spiritual sense. It's it's the faith. It is mm -hmm. the Lord. It's the God and Father of all. And so that is what brings us together. But it, that goes on and extends out to it's what unites our church to other churches that honestly can look different from us. Mm -hmm. They can do different ministries than we do. They can be made up of different people than we are made up of. It allows us to go to different countries. And even if our church looks vastly different in the building or in terms of the people who are there, the language that they speak, it's a spiritual unity that unites us to them because mm -hmm. we are all united to Christ together as part of this one church. And so it's just important because we do let those secondary differences separate us too much um, often. And I think that, at, at least in part, is part of a, uh, a forgetting of what it is that unites us mm. to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going overseas and stuff, I think, really opens your eyes to some difference. You know, if people have opportunities to go on a trip overseas, and whether it's a mission trip or whatever, but meet some people there who are who are Christians and who are faithful Christians, but see just how it's different. You know, it's just mm -hmm. it's just different, but it doesn't mean they're less faithful or more faithful than than us. It's just it's just different. The songs they sing could be completely different. Mm -hmm. at, le at least from my experience, mm -hmm. when I went to different places. Sometimes they sing some of the same songs, uh, but very different songs, uh, very different environment, very loud or whatever, sometimes outside, sometimes inside. But it's pretty interesting. All the faithful churches always open the Bible and read from it and then teach from it and are teaching you know, these same principles that we are talking about here. What is here in this passage about there is only one Lord, right? There's only one hope and it's in him. These are the faithful churches and you do get this feeling of unity when you're there. I don't know their names. I'm probably never going to see them again. But in that moment of worshiping together, there's this unity because you know that we are united spiritually through the Lord, 
to the Father. Are, are you talking about when you go to Tennessee? Yeah. I think for you that probably is what it is. You don't understand what they're saying. You don't know. What do you think I did? <laughs> or like, understand the Yeah, well, I don't understand what they're doing. I don't know but, what they're saying. <laughs> but, but I know we have some kind of unity. Um, yeah, I think, too, one of the things that's so wonderful is Paul is just saying there is this. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that we have to manufacture it. Right. It's just embracing what God has done mm-hmm. in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really comforting too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he like I had said, he he did give us some things to do, right? In the mm-hmm. first three verses. Yep. And again, it's like Paul saying, uh, these people are gonna struggle with this. Let's remember <laughs> right, three right. verses after right. this is what we are united mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's seven words. Uh We'll just go through them real quick. Uh, I forgot to start a timer, Matt, so I'm sorry, but we'll be all right. Is there a timer on there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got some new equipment. So. 12 minutes, Oh, I see it. Seconds. Okay, yeah. All right, cool. All right, so the first one is one body. Uh, you know, we spent some time talking about that in the morning uh, service, and we see this in other areas, but Paul describes the church as the body, where Jesus is the head. Uh, we are the different parts of the body, serving and being faithful and he starts to talk about how each part is very important um and we're going to see this more in ephesians the body talk and and different things but um i don't know if there's anything you guys want to to add to that i had somebody last night i was talking to i think i had mentioned in the service about how it's important that you're here because you're part of the body and you might think you're not missed but you're missed uh and i was talking to somebody after who said, you know, I actually had it brought up that I might have to lose my my toe, my big toe. And they were like, for me, it was like, yeah, just get rid of it. So, but then after some contemplation and some thinking, it was like, wait a second. <laughs> I think I might miss my big toe, you know? Yeah. And Your balance will, for sure. It was interesting because that comment, <laughs> when I said that about, you know, if you lose your foot, you're going to miss your foot. To me, it was like, oh, this is, I shouldn't be saying this. This, <laughs> this isn't appropriate or... Yeah, but that, but he was saying like, well, what do you guys say? No, I'm not. I'll okay. get myself in trouble. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but this person was saying, <laughs> this person was saying they were actually like they were like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, but sadly, I think a lot of people in the church think that way. you know, in our church, we have a big sanctuary. There's people in there, and it is easy to slip in and and to slip out. You know, it's easy to do that, and I think people start to think if I'm not there, nobody. Nobody notices. Nobody doesn't. It doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, but I think the Bible tells us something very, very different. That it does matter, and that you are supposed to be gathering together with your church family. And honestly, if your if your whole goal is to come in, slip in, and slip out, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah you could do that, and that's what I would tend to be. I would tend to be that person. Like I want to slip in, slip out, go in. I, and it's bad because my my mindset would be this. I'm going to go in, get my fill of church today, and then I'm going to leave. But but my definition of church at that moment is I'm just going to listen to them sing. I'm going to hear him preach to me. Mm. It's like my gas tank got full. I'm good. And that's a, that's a wrong view of what's happening on, on Sunday morning. Mm. This idea you should be coming in and talking with people. And I'm not saying being social butterfly all over the place, but, you know, talk to people, sing. Don't just listen, but but sing. Uh, really pray that God's word will speak to your heart. Uh, every every service we say, this is a time to respond to God's word. That's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Respond to his word. Whatever it said to you, spend some time responding to his word here. And everybody who's in there has value in the, that service because God's put us 
put us together. I don't know if you guys have anything else with the body part. Do you? Oh, I mean, uh, <laughs> you're like, who's talking? I know. I was like, who's <laughs> across from me? Uh, I think that falls under Hebrews 10, uh, 24, 25, 26 ish. Uh, stir up one another's. Uh, mm-hmm. To do good works, yeah, that's and then also, says, yeah, before do not forsake the, the mm-hmm. fellowship of brothers and sisters. Um, but at the same time, if if you're if you're not coming to church and the next Sunday you come and and no one notices that you weren't there the last week, like I think there's something wrong with the people sitting around you too. Like the people around you should be noticing that you're gone, and then maybe maybe not. Like one week you're gone, but like if you're gone for a couple of weeks, like you should probably follow up with that person, mm-hmm. the people around you, you know? I mean, that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I mean, I had even mentioned towards the end, you know, Paul talks about marriage coming up mm-hmm. and he says, this is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. And there's this intimacy within the church yeah. between the church and Christ. Obviously that's the main thing that's being talked about there. But then there has to be some intimacy then within the body of where you care about each other you right. love each other there's there's a special relationship we have knowing we are part of the church together and so there's yeah. a, should be a care and a concern and mm-hmm. those words that were in verses one through three there should be a humility a patience a gentleness uh, and so hopefully hopefully that happens more and more yeah. i don't think any church is perfect at it but no i just really hope that anybody who would think you know i don't have anything to offer here i, I don't have any way to contribute i mean i don't that that's not really what scripture says mm-hmm. the, what you have to offer and to contribute might not be what you traditionally would think could be done in a church mm. but simply building a relationship with somebody that sits across the aisle from you at church or in the pew in front or behind you you know i mean god might use something that you just say randomly on a sunday morning to encourage that person in a way that you didn't think that it would but it made a big difference in their week mm-hmm. you know i've seen that happen many times mm-hmm. And so um, just don't underestimate your ability to participate in the body in a way that builds itself up in love, mm-hmm. is what he'll say later in chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the humility things, too, if you want to encourage somebody, if you want to encourage your pastor, be there. It's very discouraging to get up to preach, and it seems empty. Just your presence. Now, I might not rec- notice your face, and I might not at the end say, so-and-so wasn't here, and it's so discouraging. But I notice people are gone. And so in the humility side of that would be just your presence, even though it might not be me looking at you and acknowledging you, your presence here is a big encouragement, I know, to me. Yeah. Or like a Sunday school teacher, mm-hmm. you know, if they plan and they want to be able to teach and they're excited about it. Just being present is very encouraging to them. And maybe that um, to me that's something big, you know, each mm-hmm. week, yeah. uh, which is easy, I would think, to do. Okay. And just because you're not a hand or a head or a foot doesn't mean you don't need the elbows and the femurs. Well, I mean, we're getting to that, right? Paul's going to get to that here in four in a little bit. He's called some to be teacher, all this, right. all these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes our appendix is removed uh, too. Right. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I don't know. They're finding out we actually need that. Oh, really? Yeah. There's oh, a purpose man. to it. What, if, what about all the people that are taking Too bad. Out? No return policy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> well, I'll just grow a new one. <laughs> Science wasn't as correct as they once thought. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. One body. Uh, then it gets to one spirit. And uh, I think the helpful thing in here was realizing what Paul is talking about. Because some people will talk about spirit. 
not as the Holy Spirit, which I, I believe this is what this is referencing, uh, the Holy Spirit, but more like an attitude or an action on the part of the church. Um, again, hard for me not to go to the sports, the sports realm, but you know, you would have friends who were your team and you guys were unified in wanting to win. You might not have ever done anything off the court. You guys weren't really that close. Mm-hmm. Even at school, you know, we had kids, I remember in high school on our basketball team, didn't really talk to them much during school, but then at practice and games, it was like, I'm willing to do whatever to succeed here and you are too. Mm-hmm. We had this common spirit, I would say, in trying to mm-hmm. trying to win or you know, whatever whatever else realm. I think people know what I'm what I'm talking about here. And we can get lost in that because I think some churches start to get to where that is the rallying cry. Um, like one of the things I hear now is we are here for the city. What? Like so your spirit that together is to help the city. I don't know if that really is what the spirit in the church that unifies us is supposed is supposed to be. That's not mm-hmm. what's being talked about here in spirit. This is the the Holy Spirit being mm-hmm. being referenced here. Do you guys often see or do you even feel sometimes the urge maybe to be unified in what I'm talking about, like causes or rallying cries, you know, or like presidential elections, it can be very easy for churches to their rallying cry, their spirit of bond and unity is a particular candidate or a particular cause that's being voted for, whatever it might be. Um, am I making this up or is it something you guys see? Or even feel sometimes, because sometimes it is easy to start to want to go to those things and that be our bond. All right, let's move on. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would agree with that, but I think that, I mean, you've used some pretty big examples. I honestly think that it could be smaller things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I see churches, and I'm guilty of this, too. We, When we're thinking of, and this goes back to something that you said earlier, Spencer, about how we tend to think that we have to fabricate this unity, that it doesn't already exist. And I think that sometimes what the trap that we can fall in as churches is to think, well, I want to, I want the men in our church to be united, or I want the women in our church. And so what are some hobbies or some interests that men or women or youth tend to congregate around? And how can we utilize that to bring people together in our church? Mm-hmm. There's a place for some of those things, but if it's if you're not careful, you can get into a, a mode of thinking that we have got to have that softball team because it unites people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it brings people together, and so I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a softball team. We have a softball team, um, but we can just get into that mode of thinking of those small things that are really the mm-hmm. same thing of like. If you just ask people, why why do you come to Monroe Missionary Baptist Church? Why are you a part of our church? You know, I mean, if your first answer is because of this one ministry or that one ministry that I like and that I'm a part of, well, maybe you're starting to step outside of the bounds of where this passage is saying our unity is found, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think there's, <laughs> yeah. There's some churches who get lost and like they exist for their daycare that they run. Sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's really it's the only thing they're known for. It's yeah. really the only thing they do. It's why they still stay open, you know, or uh, a festival maybe that they that they put on. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. what they're unified on, and that's what they're known for in the community. Yeah. And it seems like that becomes their rallying cry. We got to keep this up. We got to keep this going. And like I said, there there are churches who exist for the homeless, and that's their main focus. We want to get rid of poverty, homelessness. 
We want to, this is our goal. This is our rallying cry. This is our focus, which again, isn't, isn't like a horrible thing to be a part of, of trying to help people are homeless mm-hmm. or even to do a festival or to have a daycare, but it starts to become your identity and what decisions are made on and what people are being attracted to. Mm-hmm. And so you're starting to use that more and more. And that's not what our bond is. And that's not the spirit that's being right. talked about here. The spirit is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in our life. And and so that's, that's an important point. I think that needs to be brought out. All right. Next is one hope. Um, just real, real quick. We'll, we'll go through one hope. Our, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the Lord and the work that he has accomplished, that he has finished uh, the work of the spirit that has been done in our lives that is guaranteed and sealed. And so this hope isn't a wish. It's not an uncertainty. It's not a wavering. It kind of upsets me. I still hear Christians at times say, well, I think I think the best decision is to follow Christ because in the end, if he's not real, what did I lose? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know then if your hope is in the Lord. Yeah. I think it's in probability. Yeah. You might as well play blackjack and figure that stuff out. <laughs> or risk assessment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that is a horrible reason to, to follow Christ because we're saying it's a true hope, a true certainty. Uh, and so just want to get that out there real quick. Uh, one Lord, he goes next. One Lord. And so Paul now here is addressing our oneness in Christ, that Jesus is Lord of all. Something I brought up yesterday, I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts. That that uh, parallel that we say so often, that people say, he's our Savior and Lord, mm-hmm. our Savior and Lord. What does that really mean? What are the ramifications of that? The fact that our Lord can also be, or was, our Savior, is our Savior. Oh, to me, that's big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when Paul uses the word Lord too, um, Elsewhere, it, it automatically connotes divinity mm-hmm. for Jesus. He'll say we've got, um, elsewhere he uses this language, maybe it's in one of the Corinthians about we have God and the Lord, um, and the Lord is a specific title he often gives to Jesus. But it's also connoting the fact that he's the He's the king, he's the supreme, um, I'll use the word potentate, mm-hmm. um, he's the top, um, but also he's 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 God, and we've only got one Um this is inter- one of the things that's interesting too about like this oneness and the unity argument is because you find a lot of similar stuff in First Corinthians when Paul opens up when people were uh, dividing in the church over who they who had baptized them, mm-hmm. and Paul says you, none of you were baptized into my name or Paul's name. You were all baptized into the one name mm-hmm. of of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, into the one Lord, mm-hmm. and that therefore means. You all are under him, and he's the controlling one. What I think is interesting, too, is is how Jesus, all of these onenesses are still Mm Christ-centered. The body that we're put into is Christ. Yeah, he's the head, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the spirit that that is the life-giving principle in that body is the spirit of Christ, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. And whenever... Um, the same spirit that rose him from the dead is the same spirit that changes the body. We have the one hope, the confident expectation of the future, and now we have the one Lord. So I think it really binds us together. And so the reason we come to church is because we are found in in these things, in, in the oneness of the Lord. The Lord, like you said, Tim, too, he's the Savior. Mm-hmm. And for Paul, I think Lord and Savior... Um, I think that that those are those are coming together yeah. uh, for for him. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's interesting too. I mean, if you um, Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, 
the way that he ends that sermon. I mean, he goes through, he talks about Christ's death on the cross, what that means, why that happened, the fact that he is resurrected, and then he ends his sermon talking about how Christ has ascended into the heavens and he is now seated with God. And then he he ends in verse 36 by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm -hmm. He uses those terms Lord and Christ as titles. This is who he is. They are they're they're brought together, but they're they're separated in the sense Christ and that he is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer that has secured our salvation, but now he is also he is Lord. God has exalted him to a place of authority. And so he is a, he is the authority that has bowed down low in humility. And he's he is he has all authority in heaven on earth that can now give us confidence as Christians as we follow him, but he is also our loving, merciful savior that has redeemed us from our sin mm-hmm. and our death. It reminds me of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. Mm-hmm. Two different words. Mm. Um, that's what that's what Peter quotes right yeah, before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so that's where, like, yeah, the Lord there is the uh, the uh, the king after the order of Melchizedek, or priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's a king priest mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. together over the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something you mentioned there in Acts what Peter would say, you can know with certainty, kind of brings us to our next word about one faith. And I talked about how this isn't a blind faith. This isn't a dumb faith. This isn't uh, unrealistic faith. It's a faith based in reality and certainty, right? And that's why our hope can be certain. And God has given us his word. And we see in John, I think I read this a couple weeks ago, but how you know the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see that the word it's Christ. That's what's being talked about there. And we, we have this certainty of our faith, and we have this one faith together, this faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords, as King of Kings, as the great high priest, right, that talks about in Hebrews, who did the one sacrifice for all, doesn't have to keep coming back. Uh, this is this is the faith that is being talked about here. But uh, it is talked about quite often that, you know, this faith is, is blind. You know, we got to go and blind faith and just trusting uh, I, th- I think I understand what people are saying but we have such great documents about the trustworthiness of Jesus and the works that he did and what he did I mean just from what you read there in Acts of Peter saying you can know certain because for those people there probably a lot of them you saw Jesus mm-hmm. you saw him die mm-hmm. right you saw him buried and now we have a great number of people, Peter, you know, that I can bring to you to say they saw him alive. We watched him go up and ascend, and now he's at the right hand of the Father. Like, I know for certain, there's no doubt in Peter's mind, and he's writing this to us, and God has given us this word so that we can be certain about these things. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to necessarily, each of us, have a firm grasp on everything all the time. Like what we're getting to here, I don't know how much we'll talk about it because our time's about to run out, but like the Trinity, we see the Trinity here in this passage, one spirit, one Lord, one God. You talk about talking about that for a really long time and still being just mind blown of how that works and functions. Yes. And so if if that's what you're talking about, about a blind faith, like I'm not a hundred percent certain about what this is. Okay. I can give us that because there's still things in scripture. I think that's going to be head scratchers at times, things we don't fully understand and realize. Uh, but it doesn't give it doesn't give an open-ended thing in Scripture for us to say, yeah, I don't really know any of that, but I don't care. I'm just blindly going to follow this. No, that's, 
that's not what this faith is. It's a, actually a very educated one. Mm-hmm. I think, too, one of the questions you have to answer whenever you come to the word like this for faith is there's two ways that it can be, yeah, I guess two, two or three ways in which it can be used. It can either be referring to the subjective experience of believing by which I believe, mm-hmm. or it can refer to, secondly, the object that is believed in. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul here, if you go with the rest of what these, these are all objective things that he's talking about um, elsewhere. The spirit is an objective truth. It's not a subjective experience of the spirit. And again, so the one faith he's saying is the one, um, well, as the old translation of Hebrews would put it, that it, faith is the substance of, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we don't see them, but they are real, and they're the objects that we are hoping in. And so that's the way I would take faith here, is not as the subject. It's not that we all, we are all saved through faith, but the emphasis in this passage right here is upon the object that is believed, the content that we believe um, as Christians the object in which our faith places its trust. Um, so talking about faith, just to break it down more simply for, for my simple mm-hmm. mind, you're talking about faith in terms of it being a noun, like the faith. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 The, the mm-hmm. substance of what we believe. Right. Not necessarily a verb of something I do. Right. It's an, ob- right? yeah, it's an objective reality, not a, not an experience inside me, but it's what I trust in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the passage I read with that was Galatians 1, 22 to 24. He said, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Right, and that again is the right. faith there mm-hmm. is what is believed in. Right. Mm-hmm. Not, um, I mean, similarly, it's interesting, um, Paul, will, uh, never mind, that's going to be a bad example. Never mind, go ahead. Glad you caught it. Yeah, caught it. Didn't ruin this whole thing. Didn't ruin the whole podcast. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, after one faith was one baptism, which Spencer actually already mentioned a little bit when Paul would say, you know, who were you baptized in? Not me, not mm-hmm. Apollos. You're baptized in mm-hmm. the Lord. And so we have the one baptism, uh, which, uh, again, mentioning in the in the service and in the sermon, the importance of baptism, that God is always pairing salvation with baptism. That, that if you're a Christian, you need to be baptized. This is something you do. And again, mm-hmm. it's not a not even necessarily like this personal thing. It's it's a very communal thing. It's a very us centered thing of this is what God has done for you. And he did it for me too, because I went into the into the baptistry and I was dead and now I'm alive and you're alive. And he's brought you into this family and we are together in this family. And that's what's being pictured there with baptism and it's and it's so important for something for us to hold and that the church does this is one of the ordinances that the church holds on to and that we mm-hmm. and that we do and practice in and so Paul points to baptism as a unifier as something that unifies us and again in the Lord a baptism in the Lord and it unifies us together I don't know do you guys have anything else on that I think I think as well like you look at some of the 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 uses of baptism in in places that we wouldn't normally think of like um 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that the Israelites were baptized into Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what that means is, is they were brought into a relationship. Baptism there, they weren't literally dunked in the water. They actually went through the water without going in the water. Mm. The idea there can see is that there was a connection between the leader and the people. 
Mm-hmm. They were brought into a relationship between the the mediator of the covenant, Moses, and all the people were baptized into him, into connection with him. Uh, and, and similarly, so when we're baptized into the name of the Trinity, the name is put up on us. We're, we're brought ceremonially into a relationship, a covenantal relationship with God. And similarly, you see, Jesus will say, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He uses that language. And what he's meaning is an experience, an overwhelming experience is coming up on me that is going to do this. And so I think, I think I've heard before that uh, where baptism also can be talking about the idea that it, it comes upon, something comes upon an object and transforms it or, or comes into it and changes it. And so water baptism is a sign of this spiritual reality that whenever we are united, baptized into God in the most deepest spiritual sense through faith, God comes to us and makes us his people, and we're transformed to become his people now. We follow him. He's our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our King. And so baptism, the water baptism, is is a deep, significant sign of, of that reality, of God coming to us and us being put into him, so to speak. So there's a deep mystery there, but I think that that's also... Um, the spiritual reality, I think, of what water baptism points to is what Paul primarily has in mind here. He's talking about this amazing spiritual reality mm. that we all share in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. All right, and then lastly, one God. And the way that Paul describes this is one God overall, through all, and in all. And so just briefly, knowing that God is over us all, that God is actively over us, loving us, caring for us, that God is through us all, that he works in us and through us, and we see this as he works through the body of Christ, and we have this privilege of, of, of being a part of that. And then he is in all, and we see, again, in Scripture, how we are the temple of God, how God resides in us. Um, and so as the church, when God brings us together, we serve this one God who has all these promises for us that he'll be over us all, through us all, and in us all, and that unites us together because I don't have this much of God, but Scott has so much more and Spencer has more than that. We don't, that's not, that's not true. It's, we receive all of it. All of God is given to us because he's a good father who loves us. And that, again, that unites us. Now, that doesn't mean that um, we all will be of the same spiritual maturity. And I think that that grows in different levels. Hmm. Some people grow quickly spiritually and that's a gift of god to do that for them in their life others don't and that's okay but it doesn't mean that that person who's extremely spiritually mature is any better off than the person who isn't when it comes to how much of god do you have (laughs) right there's some really there's some really bad theology about who god is because right away you realize god is not composed of parts Mm -hmm. right can't be cut up there's he's infinite which means he is beyond calculation so yeah i mean even beyond the 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 practical experience like what you're saying about having percentages of god or the spirit it's like that's that's not you're you're still thinking about him as if he's like us right and you're right though it is possible to grieve the spirit of god which paul will say later Mm -hmm. on it is possible for us to do that um to uh live out of harmony um with god yeah thanks for silencing your phone 
Um, and uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Scott. Yeah, Scott. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bring the video back. But uh, but that's where that's where some good um, also just reflection on who God is is comforting to believers who may be struggling like that, wondering if they need more of God. Well, God can't give you any part of him if he doesn't give you all of himself. Yeah. And I think a lot of people might think, I don't know why that stuff's so important, but actually it is. I mean, there's yeah. a big comeback today. I hear quite often, God's actually a woman. Right. Right. God's actually, and they're putting these like mm-hmm. human characteristics on, on God really mm-hmm. to solve their own agenda there. But mm-hmm. um, on Sunday evenings, we're actually going through the attributes of God, which right. talks about some of these mm-hmm. things about how he's just, very much so beyond us. But in his goodness, he has put some characteristics within us that we can have of some of his characteristics, things like mercy, right? Things like love. These are some things that God is that we get to do, but there are some things that God is that we just simply can't comprehend. Like the first week was the aseity of God or the self-sufficiency of God. Mm-hmm. We can't comprehend that because right. we are not self-sufficient on our own. <laughs> we need so much and God just doesn't. Right. There's just some big things that um, are good to know. I'd encourage people to come on Sunday evenings for that because it is helpful, I think, to get our mind to grasp around. It. And it also helps us, I think, in our worshiping of God and our serving of God to, to, to know him better. But these are some topics that would go back to what I talked about with faith, the whole blind thing, where it is going to it stretches your mind when you start to think about those things. Um, but yet we see the truth of it in Scripture. This is how God shows himself to us and tells us so. All right, well, I appreciate you guys uh, sharing with me. I think we went a little longer today. We'll blame Matt because he's with us and he wouldn't stop talking, so that added the extra (laughs) 10 minutes. (laughs) So it's on him. All right, well, thanks for uh, being with us for our midweek discussion. I hope to see you this coming Sunday as we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 together. So read ahead, maybe study that a little. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless.